Welcome to this series from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. We're going to talk about discovering and living your God-given gift. Now, some part of life, some things just happen to you. Right? You did not get to choose your gender when you were born. You didn't get to choose where you were born. You didn't get to choose who your parents were. Right? You didn't get to choose how you came into this world. But listen, there is a very important choice that you make. And you choose whether you're going to be blessed or whether you're not going to be blessed. In Deuteronomy 30, in verse 19, he says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you. Now look at me a minute. This decision about living a blessed life, it is not a decision you make one time. It's a decision that you make today and you make tomorrow and you'll make the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day. Right? It's, a, it's a decision that you make on a daily basis and sometimes on an hourly basis. And this is what he says, I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore choose life, choose blessing, that both you and your descendants may live. Now, that idea that we have, I'm a rock, I'm an island, what I do is up to me, affects nobody else, it's the most unbiblical concept you can have. Because what you do affects your family. What you do affects your descendants. You are connected. Uh, I, 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 I hated school when I was in school. And the, the worst part of all was tests. I hated tests. Right? But if I had to take a test, I wanted it to be multiple choice. Because then at least I had a chance. You understand that? Some of you, are, you're shaking your head like, I understand what you're talking about. All right. Well, well God is the same way. All right. Now, now, he's giving this a test. All right. Now, he says, A is life and blessing. Choice B is death and a curse. Then God says, A is the answer. So choose A. Now, that's the type of test I like. All right? If you fail that test, it's your fault. All right? Because God told you the right answer, and then he said, and be sure to choose the right answer. Because if you choose the wrong answer, the results you're going to get are not what you want. So he's telling us that we choose life. We choose blessing. Right? You see, God created you because he wanted to bless you. He wanted to have fellowship with you. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and that you may have it abundantly. In Jeremiah, God said, I know the thoughts that I have towards you. And a lot of people, they think God's up in heaven with the big fly swatter waiting for them to just step out of line. But God says, that's not what I'm thinking. He says, my thoughts about you are for peace and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. He said, I've got great things planned for you. It's the devil whose plan is to steal, kill, and destroy, to bring a curse, to bring death. Now, you may look at your life and you say, well, I'm just not where I want to be. That's all right, because where you are today, that doesn't determine where you're going to end up. In fact, the Bible says don't despise the day of small beginnings. And really, blessing, it's, it's like a snowball. It starts small and you keep rolling. How many of you know, after a while, you just keep rolling. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. That's what blessing is like, 
right? You may start small, but you don't stay small. Peter started out as a fisherman, ended up blessed as a as one of the the leaders of the early church. David started out a shepherd, ended up the greatest king that Israel ever had. I read recently about the Coca-Cola company. In the first year of Coca-Cola company, they sold 400 units their first year. Today, they're everywhere. Last year, they sold 657 billion units. That's 1.8 billion Cokes a day. Now, in 1979, Jeannie and I are living in Mexico. We're living in an Indian village. And I get invited to go way back up in the jungle. No roads, no electricity, no running water, nothing. In fact, we drove two hours. We left my truck. We put our equipment on some donkeys or mules, actually, and took off 20 hours, 20-hour walk to get to this village. We get there, I'm wiped out, I sit down, and a guy comes up and says, would you like a Coke? <laughs> I kid, I'm not kidding, right? And I thought, how did it get here? Did it walk? Did it come on a mule? How in the world? And then I'm thinking there, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, my goodness, Coke beat Jesus. That ain't right. We got the, we've, got the, we, we've got the commission going to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature and Coke beats me. I'm like, that's not good. That's not good. All right. I was thinking about another analogy. If you, if you ever been out in third world country and had to travel by, by animals, mules in particular, uh, they are the stubbornest things, right? Mules and donkeys, they are stubborn. You, you're riding, and when they decide that it's enough, it's just enough. They just stop. And, you, you know, you spur them a little bit, you kick them a little bit, they don't do anything. You beat them a little bit, they don't do anything. You take your little ass and you put it by their ears, you know, and that's sometimes that motivates you. They're, they're tired. It's just, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. But now there, there's, this, there's a saying in Mexico among the mountain people. This is what they say. No hay burro flojo rumbo a casa. And what that means is there's no lazy mules when they get close to home. Right? When they realize, you know, we're, we're, we're taking these mules. We probably walked 35 miles. Right? But when you get about a half hour, half hour, about a half a mile, maybe even a mile from home, they realize I'm going home. And they start running. They run. And then they realize that there's water, there's food, there's rest, all right? And you cannot stop them, right? And I was thinking, that's what we ought to be like as Christians. You know, we realize the king is coming. We are going home, all right? And there should be no lazy Christians as it gets close to home, right? Because we ought to get fired up to take the gospel, the life-changing gospel, to our world and to our generation. Now, I want to introduce you to someone in the Bible that it's so easy to read across his, his, his two verses in the Bible. There's just two verses about this guy that very often we, we, we never really connect with who this guy is and what he did. And I want you to meet Samgar, all right? Now, in the book of Judges, chapter 3, there's a verse that says, And after him was Samgar. Now, he became a judge in Israel. And a judge was a leader that God raised up to deliver the people and to point them back to God. 
It says, who killed 600 men of the Philistines with an ox goad. And he also delivered Israel. And then it talks about him again, two chapters later, just one verse. And it says, in the days of Samgar, the highways were deserted and travelers walked along the byways. Now here's, here's the picture. Nobody dares go on a main road because there are so many robber terrorists out there that everybody, if they're going to try to travel, they try to take some back path where they're not going to see anybody because of the tremendous damage that these terrorists are doing. I remember nine, how many remember where you were when 9-11 happened? You don't even hardly need to think about it. I was in Dallas, Texas, preaching at a Bible college for that week and got stranded because, I mean, the airport, they just shut down. And then how many remember when they finally opened back up? You could go and take a flight and you'd be like, there'd be like four people on the airplane. I mean, you, you could go to an airport shooting Uzi and nobody get hit because nobody was traveling. That's what it was like in the days of Samgar. These, these, literally, these terrorists are on the highway and anybody who's on a main road, they're attacking them, they're robbing them, they're killing them, right? So all he has, now he's a farmer and he has an ox goad, which is a pole about seven feet long with a metal point. And it's used to motivate an ox. Now, we know very little about his family history. There isn't any. But he stands up against 600 of these terrorists with an ox goad, which, which seems to be impossible odds. One against 600. You'd think there's no way he can win. But, I'm, you know, you think about this. Jesus said it was impossible with men. It's possible with God. And he comes against 600 of these enemies, of, of these terrorists, and he kills them. Now, what he did was very interesting. He started at home. He was concerned about his family, about his neighbors. That's where he, so he started right where he was. He used what he had. He was a farmer. What did he have? He had an ox goat. And he did what he could, but he believed that God was going to be with him and help him. Seemingly, he comes from obscurity. He's a farmer. He does not have an M1 tank. He's got limited resources. He's not in the army. He's never been to a war college. He doesn't have a powerful position. All that he's got is an ox goad. He doesn't even have what would be considered a weapon of war for his day. But concerned about his farm, his family, his neighbors, he said, I'm going to do what I can do, and I believe that God will be with me. What do you think about that? He said, I'm going to do what I can do, and I believe God is going to be with me. Let me just tell you something. God has said he will never leave you, and he will never forsake you. But beyond that, the Bible tells us that he comes and lives on the inside of you, that your body, it is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we need to have that same attitude. I need to do what I can do, and God is going to be with me. So often we're afraid, well, what if I fail? Well, yeah, but God's going to be with you. And the Bible said he'll always lead you in triumph in Christ. You know, the Bible says that the wise woman, she builds her house. That's not talking about a physical house. It's talking about a life. It's talking about a family. You know, you build it by choices that you make every single day. And sometimes they seem to be insignificant. But large doors swing on small hinges. Little decisions, little things, doing the right thing, 
again and again and again. It causes huge doors to swing open. Uh, Tom Monaghan is the founder of Domino's Pizza. He started in 1960, and for eight years he struggled and struggled, and finally his pizza parlor burned to the ground. Now, I read that he only got one cent back from the insurance company for every dollar that he lost, but all he knew was pizzas. So he said, well, I'm just going to start again. So he starts, and he's working 100-hour weeks, still making no progress. He gets married. He takes a long weekend as a honeymoon, and that's it. And then he gets this idea. He's, at this point, it's 1970. He's $1.5 million in debt, no possible way to pay it back. And he gets a, a, an idea, and it's not a big idea. He says, you know, all I'm going to do is pizzas. I'm going to get rid of anything else I'm doing. It's going to be pizzas. And I'm going to deliver to the house for free. And if it's not hot when it gets there, it's going to be a free pizza for your family. Now, the rest is history. Today, 6,100 Domino Pizza outlets. He didn't change a lot. He just changed a little. He just changed a little. It was a little idea. But it caused a huge door to open for him. He started small, got that idea, changed. It brought big success. You know what he did? He used what he had. He he said, the only thing I know is pizza. And I don't know if you've had any of his pizzas, but they're pretty good. Pretty good. All right. Now, Samgar, he had that ox goat. But let me tell you something else that he had. He had enthusiasm. You know, the Greek root for enthusiasm is enthuso. It literally means in God or possessed by God. Possessed by God. You know, when, when you're doing what God has called you to do, there ought to be fire in your bones. Jeremiah literally said that. He said, I, I tried to be quiet. He said, but your word was like fire shot up in my bones and I could not be quiet. You know, that thing that God has called you to do, you know, when you get, get a hold of that thing, you pray about that thing, that thing will become fire shut up in your bones. Right? When, when you're in God, you ought to be turbocharged at everything that you're doing. Now, Mother Teresa did something that most people did not want to do. Of course, she went to India, began working among the lepers and among the poor, and had tremendous success. And towards the end of her life, she became very, very famous. And she had a lot of admirers who would come and watch her. And she would hear people say something like this again and again. Oh, Mother Teresa, I just want to do what you do. I just want to give up everything and join your work. And, and I, I loved her response. She just said, she had a four-word response. She just would say, find your own Calcutta. Find your own Calcutta. Find that dream that God has for you. Find your purpose, your destiny. You know, the Bible tells us in the New Testament in Philippians that God himself is at work in you, inspiring you to want what pleases him. Now, that is true for every single person that is listening to my voice. God is at work in you. And he is inspiring you to want what pleases him. You know, we can go our own selfish way, but God has something that he is putting in your heart. It might be something you love. It might be something that you hate, right? But God is putting something on the inside of you. He's at work in you, inspiring you to want what pleases him. And as it goes on and says, and to work for them. Now, it can be, again, something you hate, 
that God's calling you to be a part of the answer to that problem. It can be something that you love. Uh, I read recently about Martin Luther King Jr. He was attending Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia. Had a speech class. He had to write out a speech, but then he had to give his speech. He gave his speech and his professor wrote on the top of his paper, Martin, if you continue to use such lofty words and flamboyant language, you will never be effective in your public speaking. Well, I, I hope he heard his I've got a dream speech given in 1963 in August on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. I was 10 years old. I didn't hear the speech, but I both read and listened to it multiple times. And it, it is one of the most moving speeches. He said, I have a dream that my four children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the conduct of their heart. I have a dream that one day in the red fields of Georgia, their sons, sons of former slaves and sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at a table of brotherhood. You know, his speech moved a nation. You know what he did? He used what he had. He used what he had. Now, listen, he had critics, lots of them for lots of reasons, even a professor. And listen, if you ever do anything, you're going to be criticized. If you don't want criticism, do nothing. But once you begin to do anything, there's going to be a critic. And that's just a good sign. It's a, it's a sign you're moving in the right direction. Right? His critics didn't stop him because he wouldn't let them stop him. Sam Gar, like Martin Luther King Jr., he used what he had. He had an ox goad. He had enthusiasm. And I just want to tell you, one thing that every Christian has is we have prayer. And it, prayer connects us with the God of the impossible. Well, what is impossible with men, it's possible with God. And your prayers, listen, they are so powerful that prayers outlive you. They outlive you. Jesus prayed in John 17. He said, I don't pray for these alone, for these disciples, but also for those who will believe on me through their word. He said, I'm going to believe, I'm praying for those that hear and those that hear, those that hear and those that hear, those that hear, those that hear and those that hear, those that hear. He was praying for you and for me. That prayer of Jesus is still alive and working today. Your prayers outlive you, right? Your, your, your prayers outlive the next generation. They can outlive an age. It's prayer that connects us to a supernatural God. And when we don't pray, it's because we don't believe it's going to make a difference. But prayer does make a difference when you pray in faith. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said, when the Son of Man returns, he said, will he find faith in the earth? Will he find faith? Now, the fact that Jesus said, Will he find faith? means he's looking for it. God will pass over 10,000 people to find one person that believes. One person who's in faith. I have a friend. You know, different people get excited about different things. You know, some of you are, you, you know, you're, you're, you get, what tur turns your crank is football or basketball or golf or shopping or antiques or shoes. I got a friend, he's into shoes. You know, he has over a hundred pairs of shoes. We went to, when he comes and visits, I'm not kidding. We got to go to the mall and look at shoes. Okay, we're looking at these shoes. And he goes, oh, don't get those. Those are last year's models. I went, last year's model? Shoes? 
I believe every man should have a maximum of two pairs of shoes, one black, one white. Or one white, black, one brown, one brown. Black, brown, pay a maximum of $150. Top, top drawer. All right? He got over 100 pairs of shoes. He likes shoes, gets excited when we look at shoes. Let me tell you what gets God excited. What turns God's crank is faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews 11.1. 1. So you can never connect with God or receive from God without faith. You know, and when you pray in faith, it moves the hand of God. Things change. It makes a difference. Now, moving into, into the destiny, the, the plan, the dream that God has for you, you're always going to face fear. There's always going to be uncertainty. There's going to be things you don't know. The Bible says this about Abraham. It says that he left not knowing where he was going. If you've got to have all the answers before you start, you'll never start. You'll never live by faith if you think you've got to know it all before you start. Because he left not knowing where he was going. He just knew who he was going with. He was going with God. Of the Apostle Paul, in the book of Acts, I believe it's chapter 20, where he says, I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing the things that are waiting me. You see, when you move in faith, you don't know everything that's going to happen, but you know this, you're with the one that you can trust. You're with God. Right? So when, when you move in faith, there may be some uncertainty. There may even be some fear. Uh, I think that, that, for example, David, before he went and fought Goliath, he was moving in faith, but it was that there, not that there was no fear. He wrote in Psalms 56, he said, when I am afraid, David said that, when I am afraid. How many of you ever been afraid? He said, what do I do? He said, I will put my trust in you. When I'm afraid, I trust God. That's what you and I need to do. That's what faith is. Faith is not an absence of uncertainty or of fear, it is moving ahead and putting our trust in God, in God's word, what he said he'll do for us in spite of anything that's around us. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, in verse 7. Now, between 1 and 2 Timothy, Timothy is pastoring a church in Ephesus and things have changed. Nero has become the emperor of the Roman Empire. He has begun a persecution against Christians, and Christians are losing their properties. They're being confiscated. Some of the, the Christians in Ephesus are being thrown into the Colosseum. They're fighting wild animals. For their, they're, they're literally being killed. Two of the elders in the church at Ephesus, Hymenius and Philetus, are preaching heresy. They're preaching the resurrection has already taken place. And Timothy, his world is turned upside down, and he writes Paul. And this is what Paul said. He said, God has not given us a spirit of fear. He's saying, Timothy, there may be a lot of things that are being shaken around you, but you don't need to fear. Isn't it interesting that most of the time when an angel appears, the angel says, fear not. Fear not. Because when you've got confidence in God, you can move ahead. And that's what Paul told Timothy. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love, and of a sound mind. Now, so often, 
as we're finding and living that dream, there, there's a temptation to focus on the wrong things. In uh, the book of, of 1 Samuel, there's the story about Saul becoming king. Now, Saul's father, Kish, has some donkeys and he loses his donkeys. And so he sends his son, Saul, to look for donkeys. And Saul's out looking for the donkeys. He can't find them. And his servant makes the suggestion, let's go see the seer. Let's go see Samuel. Now, a prophet, in fact, let me just read it to you. It says, formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he spoke thus, come, let us go to the seer. For he who is now called a prophet was formerly called a seer. So prophets were called seers because they would see and know things supernaturally. Literally, the Bible calls them open visions. It's like you're watching a television screen and the prophet would see things and he would know things supernaturally. So they referred to him as a seer and then later as a prophet. So they, he said, the servant says, let's go see Samuel, the prophet, the seer. And so they go. And the first thing the prophet says to Saul is, hey, don't worry about the donkeys. He says, your dad has found the donkeys and now he's concerned about you. He says, but there's something else. He said, God is calling you to a dream. He's calling you to a destiny. Now, Saul is concerned about donkeys. But what God's concerned about is something totally different. God is concerned about the purpose, the destiny, the dream that he has for this man. And, and the Bible says that he was the most handsome man in Israel, head and shoulders taller than anybody else. And Samuel anoints him king. And he says, you're going to leave here today. And he says, and you are going to be turned into another man. Now listen, when you find the dream, the purpose that God has for you, it will turn you into another person. And that is literally what happens to him. He becomes, he said, another man. When God speaks that purpose, when you get that thing down in your heart, down on the inside of you, you become another person. Now, it's in Ephesians. I want to close with this. This is my first closing tonight over today. All right. uh, I want to close in Ephesians chapter 6. There's a couple more verses I'm going to add to this. But it says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Or the Living Bible says we're not fighting against people made of flesh and blood. But against persons without bodies, the evil rulers of the unseen world, those satanic beings and great evil princes of darkness who rule this world against a huge number of wicked spirits in the spirit world. So your enemy is not your boss, that person that hurts you. No, your real enemy is a person without a body. It's an evil spirit. It's a spiritual force behind that person. So the Bible tells us, 1 Peter 5, 8, to resist him steadfast in the faith. That's what we are to do as Christians. You realize this, everything that happens to you is not the will of God. There are things that come your way that they are an attack of those evil, wicked spirits in the spiritual realm. So the Bible says resist him. Resist them steadfast in the faith. Resist means to set oneself against, to withstand, to yield to him nothing at any point, to be always against him, Belonging ever to the party of opposition, in firmness, in decision, and in opposition. You see, the devil wants you, listen, to surrender, to quit, and to lay down and let him plow over you. Listen to Isaiah 51. 
I will give it to those who oppress you, to those who made you lie down in the streets and trample on you as if you were dirt. That is the picture of the devil. He wants you to give up, to lay down, and he will walk over you like you are dirt. Right? But the Bible says, resist him steadfast in the faith. Don't let He wants to run over you, your family, your marriage, your kids, your finances, your peace, your joy. He wants to take you down and walk over you. That's his, his desire. But you don't let down your guard. You don't let depression in, fear. You, you don't let divorce and poverty and lack and sickness and strife. You don't let strife into your home. You resist. You stand up. And you say, devil, I will not bow down in Jesus' name. I resist fear in Jesus' name. I resist depression in Jesus' name. I resist this attack on my family in Jesus' name. Devil, I resist you. I will not let you have my marriage in Jesus' name. I will not let hopelessness into my heart because I've got a vision from God. I've got purpose. I've got destiny. I've got righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Do not lay down and let the devil walk over you like dirt. Stand up and resist him in Jesus' name. He will try to keep you from fulfilling your destiny. But if you'll stand up in Jesus' name, you'll fulfill the purpose and the destiny that God has for you. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. Many of us have a wrong picture or concept of God. You know, I've, I travel a fair amount, and I've gone to airports before to get picked up. And they don't know who I am, the person that they've sent. And they've got a picture of me, right? And they're looking at that picture, and as I walk off, you know, out of the airport, they're looking at the picture, looking like, who is this, you know, who is it? They're trying to find me. You know, but if you've got the wrong picture, you're, going to get the wrong, you're never going to find the right person. And some of us, our picture of God is wrong. We've got a picture of God that keeps us from God. In many of our minds, there is a big fence or a wall, and God is on one side, and we're on the other side. We know he's there, but we can't reach him. In our mind, he is unreachable, right? But that is a false picture of God. When Adam and Eve sinned, the Bible says God came looking for them. And he said, where are you? Where are you? God didn't abandon them. They weren't even looking for God. They were hiding from God. But God came looking for them. And Jesus was sent by God to jump that fence, to come and find you. Jesus said, he said, I didn't come to call the righteous, but the sinners. He said, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save the world. And in our minds, there might be this big wall, this fence that keeps us from God, but God has jumped over that wall. And just like God said, Adam, where are you? He is calling your name today. In Revelation 3, Jesus said, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. And if you will open, I will come in. He will come in today. He is not unreachable. And there is no fence, there's no wall, no barrier between you and God. Just like he came looking for Adam and Eve, he's here today looking for you, calling for you, saying, I'm at the door. 
If you'll open, I'll come in. And if you're here today and you're not right with God, you're away from God, you don't know where you stand with God, you say, I want to get right. I'm going to count to three in just a moment. When I say three, please lift your hand. We're going to pray. God's going to meet you right here. And God's going to come right down, call your name. He's going to come into your heart. And you are going to be forever changed, forgiven, right with God. So get ready. Lift your hand on three. As you lift your hand, the first thing that you're saying is, God, I know I need forgiveness. I know I need a Savior. I'm coming to Jesus to be saved and to be forgiven today. One. You're saying to God, God, I've been away from you, but now I'm coming to you and I'm going to live my life for you. Two. Now get ready. As you lift your hand, you're saying today, I'm going to open the door to my heart. Jesus is going to come in. He's going to blood wash me from my sin. He's going to make me a new person on the inside. I'm going to be forgiven. I'm going to be a child of God on my way to heaven. Three, lift your hand right now. Lift it up. Say, pray with me. I'm not right. Not right, but I want to get right. Thank you. I see that hand and that hand and that hand and that hand. Another hand over here. Up in the balcony. Everybody lift it up high. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. All right. Would everybody please stand? Now, if you lifted your hand, please look right at me. Wherever you are, up in the balcony, please just move to the aisle that's nearest you. Come right down here. Bring whoever you came with, whatever you brought, but make your way down here. God is going to meet us right here. We're going to pray. We're going to say amen. When we say amen in a moment, your past, it will be gone. You are going to be right with God. You're going to be on your way to heaven. This is your day. From the balcony, if you will make your way down, we'll wait for you. This is literally the most important decision you will make in your entire life. Awesome. God bless you. Come right down. Come on down back there. We're so glad for you. Again, most important decision you'll ever make. Romans chapter 10. Verse 13, 43 years ago, come right down here, guys. I prayed this same prayer. Still working? You're going to pray today? If Jesus tarries 43 years from now, you're still going to be right with God. You're going to be on your way to heaven. He's going to make you new on the inside today. Right? Come right down. Come right down. Keep coming. Keep coming. All right. Now, here's what we're going to do. Romans 10. Whosoever, that means you, will call on the name of the Lord, we're going to call on his name the way the Bible tells us to. Right? And this is God's promise to you. will be saved. When we say amen, you're going to be right with God. You're going to be forgiven. You're going to be on your way to heaven. This is your day, most important day. A couple more coming all the way from the balcony. Come on down. Thank you for coming. Yeah. All right. Okay, now here's what we're going to do, everybody. We're going to pray this prayer together. I want everybody to make these words your own, but put one hand over your heart. Right? Wow. More. Oh, my. Come on down. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. I didn't know. Awesome. All right. I want you to remember this. God cannot lie. 
And he said, if you will do this, you will be saved. It is a promise, all right? You can trust him. You can trust him. Awesome. Awesome. Guys, thank you for coming. All right, one hand on your heart, other hand towards heaven where our help comes from. Let's pray this out loud. Say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. And I receive him today as my Lord and Savior. I'm going to live for him every day. And I thank you that you have heard my prayer. That you come into my heart. That your blood wash me from my sin. That you make me a new person on the inside. A part of your family. On my way to heaven. In Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Awesome. Listen, this is so important. Right? We want to get your name, and we are going to be praying for you every day for the next month. We're going to give you some things that are going to help you keep growing spiritually. It's going to take just a couple minutes of your time. We're going to follow our prayer partner right there. Give them a hand, would you please? Sir, God bless you. Man, God bless you. Thank you for listening to this series. For more information, call 616-534-4923 or visit us at reslife.org.